Hello, everyone. I'm Trent Luce. Welcome to another edition of Rural Route, the program where we gather every day at this time. Well, we do it Monday through Friday anyway. And what we do when we gather is continue to address the issues between rural and urban America. Jay Truitt on sabbatical this week. Couldn't afford his contract for yet another week. So we found a better fill-in. Ambassador Kip Tom joining us. Thought he might be driving a truck around a farm in Indiana, but instead looks like he's uh, very presidential there in his office. Andrew yeah. Henderson across the pond version, UK. Are you getting your uh, your product unloaded okay, or what are you doing here? Yeah, my wife's out there with a face like thunder, orchestrating a bloke from Italy that can't speak a word of English. <laughs> but the thing is, right... I couldn't understand what he was saying either. I know. And I I was just watching you talk to him, and you committed the absolute biggest. I know, I know. Uh, when somebody doesn't understand English, speaking louder in English doesn't help the equation. <laughs> no, I know, you, you, you missed it. I, I managed to communicate a bit with him because I, I asked him, I found out which team he supported. That's the first thing you do with an Italian. And it, so then I worked out where he was from. So he's from Turin because he supports Juventus. And I looked at his paperwork, and yes, he's come all the way from Turin. But he's picked up these goods from our supplier in Mondovi. But um, we had to, this is the first time, Kit, that we, that we actually had to fill in any customs paperwork since we've left the uh, um, the federal federal United States of Europe, okay, <laughs> or the EU SSR as we now call it, okay. So anyway, that's what I thought I, I, at the end of the day, and actually, it's quite interesting. Do you know they said it was going to cost us money, Kip, that, that we would have to spend money because there wouldn't be a deal? We were told there wouldn't be a deal. There would be queues at the border. Thousands of people would lose their jobs. Um, the British economy would collapse and the, the pound would collapse and the euro would soar. And that was all these fantastic economists that, uh, funnily enough, work for the European Union. <laughs> And actually, what I'll tell you is that the absolute opposite has happened so far. The euro is devalued by 10%. The European Union's in economic collapse. The paperwork is 70 quid. So I'm a, on that particular shipment, I'm well in on the money because their currency is devalued by 10% in three months. And I ordered it three months ago. So there you go. Happy days. <laughs> I think I think there's there's one more element here that you haven't talked about yet. I, I think in uh, I saw a number yesterday that the UK it was actually about sixty percent of the adults have been have received the vaccine for the coronavirus. Whereas I believe, and sometimes that's just one of the two shots, right? But the reality is, in Europe, in the twenty-seven member nations that are left there, I think the number is around four and a half five percent. So. Uh, that's right. What's going on there? I'm not sure. Whether, I'm not altogether sure whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, Kit, because there's an awful lot of um, concern that this is still an experimental um, vaccine. Yeah, but there you uh, go. I'm... You're right. We are we are miles ahead of everybody, but um, and it's definitely allowing our economy to open up quicker. So that's going to be a really good thing. The only problem with all this is um, how long is Europe going to take to come out of their recession and Will they be able to afford any goods at the end of it? That is the problem. 
isn't it? Yeah, it's going to be a big problem for him. You know, I mean, I witnessed it in, in Italy, uh, the significance that was there. I mean, 18% of GDP or somewhere close to that comes from tourism. Well, they've been shut down for basically 13 months now. And yeah. uh, they're suffering significantly because of that. Uh, they just went through a lockdown here several weeks ago, uh, maybe almost a month ago now. But uh, I think everybody's getting out and moving around. But nonetheless, in the meanwhile, many small family businesses uh, have suffered. In the meantime, uh, immigration or migration into the country uh, continues to go at a pretty good High pace right. out of Africa and other places. So uh, they've got their hands full across all of Europe right now with the situations that we just described. Kip, I'm not getting Andrew like I should, so I'll, I'll just step in here while he gets that fixed. You, you don't know this, but you touched my buzzwords of the week, tourism. And and that's because we have this movement taking place in Kansas and Nebraska, which, by the way, there are 55 of them around the nation currently. They're called National Heritage Area Designations. And basically, that is all about celebrating the heritage and tying up property rights so guys guys and gals can't use their property as they see fit because they want to promote tourism. And so my stump speech in each one of these public events that I've been a part of this week is that tourism is a supplement. And if you do not have a vibrant economy built off of utilizing the resources to improve lives, there is no tourism. And and when you have, that's a case in point, when you have 18% of your GDP all based on tourism, that tourism is the first thing that's going to go when things go a little sideways. Absolutely. And, you know, it comes back to, it's, it's not only tourism, it's to make sure that uh, those businesses have enough uh, to operate on. I mean, they're family businesses now that, uh, uh, you know, the children don't have employment, they've, lost, they've expanded, or excuse me, they've, they've exhausted their savings accounts, and now they're looking for jobs. So now we have massive growth in unemployment. But when I look at what you're describing here in the United States, let's not forget the utility our resources play in feeding that hungry world. And I want to talk about a little bit more later on if we can get to the Food System Summit. But there's a lot of people who think they know more about uh, how to manage these resources and helping us feed the world and protecting the environment, making sure that we're climate sensitive and all those issues. But the reality is, let's let the utility of these resources used effectively mm-hmm. continue to feed the world. Yeah. Andrew, you Can back? I just come in? Can you hear yeah. me again now? Yeah, you're good. Can I come in and just say, you know, what you said Kip, about uh, what was happening in Italy, 18% of their economy relying on tourism. When you start to look at Spain, Portugal, um, Greece, any of the, 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 the southern Mediterranean European countries, all of those countries rely far too much on tourism and that is one of the legacies i have to say of what i would call the european union quango because they've never been encouraged to develop their strengths because their strengths aren't just in tourism and and i think trent's right about that that one one of the things that we need to look in the whole world in the future is developing the strengths of Every country and every state in a country as large as yourselves all have um, unique principles that they can use to maximize their efficiency and their and their fortunes in the future. And that's what I think makes the world diverse. That's where globalism is flawed, because it tries to make everybody be the same. And that isn't actually possible. So I think we're... 
You know, something else I noticed, and it goes, it's a, a lot throughout Europe, but I noticed especially in Italy because where I was based, but they have a, a, a class of farms called agriturismo. So because of the European Union's influence on farms and uh, across all of Europe, uh, they, they've pushed them into a much smaller size that they can't invest in technologies. Oftentimes there's no scale. I mean, if you look at the farm on its own, it could not survive. It's not enough. It's not large enough to survive. Dogic farms, aren't they? They're, 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 been, they're, they're, yeah. But it's been driven by EU policy. And so all of a sudden you have all these small farms, but the only way to survive is through agritourism. But then when I look at the whole scheme of what is the country exporting, they have very little ability to produce enough, whether it's wheat or beef cattle or whatever it is that they may produce to the rest of the world. And they're not creating that economic opportunity for the people and the, they've invested for sometimes eight and 10 and 20 generations to improve productivity in Italy. So, um, again, it comes back to European policy, driving the system and forcing them into what's called agritourism. So it's the only way they can do it is, you know, have people stay at their house or their residence there on the farm, see a 10 acre or 20 hectare plot is all they operate. But we know that's not enough to sustain a, a family. But yet that's the only way they can survive. But again, it's driven by EU policy. And this is where it's flawed. Absolutely right. I, you, you couldn't have said it more succinctly because it, there is a there is a difference between a viable business and some form of uh, manipulated business. And we have to look, especially when we're producing food, at supplying local food to local consumers, but also making sure it's efficiently produced because that's precisely why the European Union has to be so protective against imports. That's why they'll find it very difficult to do trade deals with the rest of the world. That's why they're very jealous about what's happening. We've got um, over 60 trade deal deals, as you, I'm sure you know, Kip, already done free trade deals since we left the European Union. Now, this is great, but I'm now speaking to our Department of Industry and Trade and saying, bit of a problem here, folks. Why? What's the problem? Well, 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 well to well, actually well, supply well. these products. We have a problem here, folks. Funny you should say that, Andrew, because it was on this day, the coined phrase, Houston, we have a problem because the oxygen tank blew up in the space shuttle. We have to, we have a problem. We have to take a break. Neogen creating opportunities and solving problems by looking at the genomics and the DNA that is present within these animals at the DNA fingerprint. You absolutely cannot continue to reproduce produce animals without looking at what the alleles that are present. We'll be back with more Roll Route. I'm Andrew Henderson, Trailers after this. Welcome back to Roll Route, Trailers. Kip Tom joining us as he should a little more often. Andrew Henderson, just during the break, Andrew drank a beer uh, from his feet, holding himself in the Raptors upside down. <laughs> That's how those UK guys do it. They can't go do it in the pub, so they have to do it creatively. Yeah, well, I was just giving your listeners a clue to go and check out this guy that could <laughs> shear all those sheep and then drink a beer upside down. Yeah, 565 yeah. sheep on this day in 1964. All right, Warren, you get his first name there quicker than anybody else. You got it. All right, so uh, what is, let's talk about the EU and the new Green Deal. <laughs> It's so, not Lou Brown. <laughs> who wants to talk about the new Green Deal? Kip does. Yeah. I, I Kip needs to lay the groundwork on what this really means. Yeah, and I think this the EU Green Deal Farm to Fork Initiative is it's it's been in play for some time. And I, I got to commend 
the European Union for the way they have coordinated themselves, the way they've consolidated their messaging, uh, the way they have organized their ability to deliver this around the world. Do I agree with the Green Deal? I agree with some of the elements of it, but I don't agree of how we get there. You know, the, they talk about resource allocation and, and producing more with less. They talk about having a positive impact on the environment and our ecosystems. They talk about uh, reduction in pesticide usage and, and use of fuel and all these different elements. You know, we've been doing it here in the United States for nearly 20 years. We've, we've increased productivity. We use cover crops. We, we, have, we know the importance of soil health and preserving that resource for future generations. We've cleaned up our rivers and streams. We use no-till. We use tractors and data systems that, that help us give the ability to use less resources in terms of pesticides or fertilizer to produce more. In fact, if you use a GM crop, you're going to lose your, lessen your carbon footprint by nearly 18%. You know, and they've banned, obviously, GM crops in Europe. So we've already achieved a lot of what's going on. And there's evidence out there that shows now today that systems like we have in the United States are sustainable. It's economic, it's environmental, and it's social. And it achieves that. You know, what they're trying to do with the EU Green Deal Farm to Fork Initiative and they're trying to push it around the world. I know they've been across Latin America, South America, throughout Asia, through Africa, the Middle East. They're trying to promote this. They want to, they want to control the food systems world. They believe there should be just one system. We believe in all systems. Hey, if someone wants to grow organic here in the United States, we let them do it. And let's not demean them. At the same time, we should realize that there needs to be commercial production as well, utilizing the latest in technologies to make sure that we're effective with what we have to use. I'm proud of the American farmer, and I'm proud of those around the world that embrace technology. But the EU is going in the opposite direction. In fact, I'll go as far to say what they're promoting around the world is a crime against humanity because of the trade restrictions they're going to put with this and the ability to feed the world. And they're trying to promote this across Africa right now. The EU is led. Let's, for, let's just face it. For the last three decades, they have led through the bureaucracy of the Food and Agriculture Organization, under some of the past leaders we've had there, a system that goes towards agroecology that's lined up with what the EU Green Deal is. And what have we done in food security across Africa? It has not improved at all. In the Middle East, it hasn't improved. India has not improved. Look at the, look at the famine map on the World Food Program's website. You'll see that food security is in a state of decline. You know, a lot of them will say, well, it's because of man-made conflict and maybe it's climate change and other issues. The reality is it's because of the lack of access to technology and they have blocked it. So this EU Green Deal, the Farm to Fork Initiative, they're trying to use the Food Systems Summit, which American farmers and those in the UK need to pay attention to this. It's being conducted at the UN. And well, the, the pre-summits in Rome during the G20 in July and then it's going to be conducted in September at the UN. We need to make sure there are no negotiated outcomes that are a result of this. And we need to make sure that policy and trade amp amplifications aren't spread around the world that take us to the EU Green Deal. They're trying to use the Food System Summit as the Trojan horse to get the EU Green Deal done around the world. We Ken. didn't notice. And we've been caught flat-footed here, and we're behind. Okay. I, I agree with every word you're saying. I, I actually think our farmers have, have actually uh, smelt the coffee here. Um, but I, I want to ask you something. Isn't it, you know, all those great, I believe in 100% of what you've said, 
but I want to know from you, can you stop it? Because isn't your new president about to borrow over $2 trillion? And a massive part of that investment is the Green New Deal, isn't it? Yeah, there's a part of that. And then there's this 30 by 30 initiative, which uh, I think people must not be paying attention, but we've already done a remarkable job in the United States setting lands aside that were, you know, environmentally sensitive, maybe should have went back to trees. Since the late 1980s, early 1990s, we've set nearly 200 million acres aside in our country that was environmentally sound. We've already done a lot of heavy lifting. Today, there may be a little bit more to gain there, but there isn't much. We came back using just the valuable resources, the productive resources we have today, and we continue to lose land to urban development that takes place, roads, you know, electric transmission lines, you name it. It's going on everywhere. We're about ready to lose a farm, uh, probably seven to 800 acres that's going to go into a solar farm. Highly productive ground. It's land we rent that we're probably going to lose sometime for a solar farm. Land that could be used to produce food, fiber, and energy. So, yeah. and by the way, and sorry to interrupt you, Kit, but if that if they did not receive a government subsidy with all of these wasteful spending dollars, like Andrew just alluded to, they couldn't even begin to think about putting up a solar farm. There's no such thing as a solar farm. It's just a a hole to stick money in, thinking you're somehow helping the world, and you're not. Kip, Kip, I I have a feeling that if you can't let let's just look at the economic realities here. I I have a feeling that if America doesn't put its hand in its pocket for this. The EU hasn't got the money to do it, you know. And I think you should, that's the message I take away from this, that if we don't get Joe Biden's, if Europe doesn't get Joe Biden's support, it won't better do it. It's nearly bankrupt. Europe is nearly bankrupt. So they haven't got the money to invest in this and make it actually happen. The the dollar that he's trying to steal from the Americans is how, how this is going to be done. And people should see through that because they've already borrowed in it, well, they're about to borrow five trillion to try and compete with you. That's what they're trying to do. They're they're using borrowings to compete, not efficiency. It's a short term answer, but it's a long term disaster. And I, I, what I'm frightened of is that how can a country of your standing, who does has in the past led in terms of food technology, as you suggest, because technology is where it all starts. And I agree with you a hundred percent. I can't. Why should we try to sustain farms that are not sustainable? It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense for anybody. I struggle with that comment, but go ahead, Kip. Yeah, what I was, you know, I'll go back to what we, we were talking about, and you're right, Andrew. Um, you know, the borrowings that we're taking today to finance uh, these renewables, and, and believe me, I think farmers are, they embrace a number of different renewables, whether it's ethanol, the biodiesel, some of those like that. We know they work. They're proven. And they were to a point now where they're efficient. They stand on their own. But when we look at the windmills, wind generation we're seeing going up around, we know that cost is nearly 25 cents a kilowatt hour. My issue is this. If we, we raise our electric prices, our natural gas prices, our ability to generate electricity, there's going to be a lot of people that it's going to be out of reach for them to be able to afford that. You know, at the same time, if we would embrace, if we go along with the EU Green Deal, Farm to Fork Initiative, how many people is that going to put food out of reach, out of their ability to to buy? And I'm not talking about here in the United States. We'll get by. We'll figure it out somehow. But when I look across Africa, where some of these people are making a dollar or two a day, and they have to continue to live a subservient, 
living in that cycle of poverty, they're not going to have any chance to get out. And what we do, we have extremism expansion. We have human trafficking getting worse. Uh, many other nefarious activities that take place. So uh, we need to make sure our voice is heard right now. Yeah, we sh- I, I, I'm sure somebody is, but I should put together, <clears throat> excuse me, a spreadsheet tracking all of the human trafficking cases that 16 yesterday in Maryland, 20 here. Uh, nobody pays attention, nobody being the major media, doesn't bring them all together into big focus. But if you add them all up, it's a big deal. And just it's kind of just like, oh, yeah, by the way, there were 16 more found yesterday. Uh, Andrew, the reason I said I don't agree is that my one pet peeve in this whole issue is that somebody talking about the New Green Deal or sustainable agriculture, and they are always some do-gooder sitting in a cubicle that's never actually taking care of land or livestock, telling somebody that in the EU situation, maybe a 20-generation farmer. I used to brag about being a sixth-generation U.S. farmer. I met somebody from Pennsylvania that was 13th, and I'm like, who's going to tell this guy what sustainability is? He, he and his family have lived it. Don't tell him he's, he needs to learn to become sustainable. He's been here. I have to go to a and break. Anything uh, is that, uh, it's uh, not only thing is, only thing is, you're going to pick it up right there when we come back after the break. Roll out. I want to remind you about Lone Creek Cattle Company and the opportunity to be a part of a brand of beef program. It's all about putting more dollars in your pocket for the quality of food, whatever that food may be that you're producing. And what Lone Creek has done from a certified Piedmontese standpoint is create the opportunity for cattlemen to be rewarded more than just the normal 14% of the consumer's food dollar. Get closer to the consumer. Get paid for the tenderness and the aspect of Piedmontese. Marlon Will has full details at LoneCreekKettleCo.com. We'll take a break. We'll be back with more. We're all right after this. Welcome back. We're all right. We're all right. Grant Luce, Andrew Henderson, Kip Dobb. This is like a runaway. No, no, no. I want to come back at my friend here about this sustainable farm for 20 years. (laughs) Uh, what a united nincompoopism that came up there from Trent Luce. I want to tell you, I went to an agritourism farm, and it's a 20-generation farm, and I'll, t- I'll tell you why it's not sustainable, Trent. This guy had two pigs, three goats. He had a couple of donkeys, uh, about four rows of white, uh, four, row, four fields full of, of, of vineries to make red wine. And basically, you came and stayed at his farm, and the only way he could earn money was he, he charges you a peppercorn rent for the agriturismo, and he doesn't pay any tax as long as you only consume his produced produce from the farm. Okay? That's how it was done. Mm-hmm. That's his farm. Okay. Are you telling oh. me that's sustainable? I, you I'm, know, Andrew, Andrew, what I do when I get in those situations and they're talking like that, I usually say, okay, let's start to do the math here. We're talking about yes, 7.5 exactly. billion people on the face of the earth. They need to consume this many amount of calories. This is how many calories you're producing here on your farm on a daily basis, yearly basis, whatever measure you want to look at. And you're using how many people to do that? So my question comes back to where is the, where are we going to find the people exactly. to do this? Like well, talking about doing it, and uh, secondly, uh, how many who are you going to decide does it gets to eat and doesn't get to eat? Okay, it's so obvious, it's unbelievable. They don't even pay tax. You so asked me a question. Tax. Do I get it's to answer expensive. the question you asked me? How is that sustainable? If this guy 
is paying his own way and generating revenue that exceeds his income or generating revenue that ex- exceeds his expenses without a subsidy from some government program he's sustainable it's not your place to sit there and say that he's not big enough or he's not so, he doesn't have this to be sustainable you weren't listening were you you weren't listening i was listening if well, he's, he's not he's definitely getting a payment from the government because he doesn't have to pay any tax okay then he's not sustainable Exactly. If it includes a, a dependence upon, like Kip's solar farm that's taking good land out of production, I assure you that's all driven about about the subsidy. If there's a subsidy involved, there's no sustainability. Right. So those twenty farmers that have been there for twenty generations, I'm here to tell you that most of them are not sustainable because of subsidies. Because the government created an unsustainable system, telling them uh, how to do it instead of just letting them be the driver. I'm trying to argue yourself out of a paper bag. Anyway, it's because of the subsidies they're still in business. That's well, why it comes back to the, the EU subsidies. I mean, we know right now they're nearly seventy billion dollars a year. Seventy billion, and you know the U.S. I don't know where we're at, maybe in our ag subsidies, but you know when we look at agriculture, uh, thirty-eight you were, but it's million dollars. We're a billion pounds. Anyway, but, but if we look at the United States and I look at the productivity, the amount of mass or the amount Absolutely. of calories, caloric intake that we can produce here uh, on a per basis or per unit basis, we're, you know, we're a lot less expensive than EU. But my point is, is how can they get the EU Green Deal across the line with this additional cost if they don't have the finances to do that? that that's where my question is at when I look at the EU Green Deal. Are they expecting the rest of the world to pick up the slack for them? Well, actually, I think they're expecting Joe Biden to do it because I, I think that's exactly what your latest bailout is going to do. And um, mm. I'm sorry, but it is. It's going to come from you guys. And I think it's shocking um, that you can't smell the coffee there. There's only about 6% for infrastructure. And most of it is been dressed up as something different, but it's actually for the Green New Deal. It is, isn't it, Kit? That's yeah, what it's well, for. It is. And this is going to be on the burns of the next generation and the generation after that. Uh, the cost well, of tax increases. The more, the more you start paying the EU, the more they'll want more. This will just be the start of it. And once you're in, it'll be very difficult to get out. And the other thing I would say to you about this is that people forget. You know when people talk, I know the other big part of this is electric and uh, solar and all sorts of different types of um, fuel. But the problem with that is that if, if every car in the USA is electric or in the UK or wherever, um, somewhere that electric has to be produced. So there's mm-hmm. some form of fuel producing it. Why is nobody working that one out? It's obvious. You know, it, it, none of this stacks up, and yet we're all blindly watching it happen, and nobody seems to know what to do about it. That's, well, that's what I can understand. Let's step back for a second and ask ourselves, how are we going to pay for this, okay? Absolutely. And, and one of the things we see that's going on in the United States, it's not law yet, but we know that's being discussed in Congress as changes – and our estate tax law. And I'll remind you, mind you that we've already paid taxes to make this money that we've invested in our farms and our, our family businesses. But now when we pass it from one generation to the next, it, it's possible that we lose stepped-up basis. It's possible that uh, 1031s may go away. It's possible that we see taxes for a couple get reduced from $27 million down to $3 million. Um, and then the, the amount of taxes that's on that in the meantime is substantial, and it's going to cause a liquidation. If people don't plan ahead, it will cause a liquidation event in farms and farmland and family businesses. And this is one of the ways that I see them potentially paying for this. This is why farmers need to take notice right now 
and make sure that they do the planning they need to do over the next few months here to make sure they're prepared if these changes occur and all signs are that it will occur. Uh, Is that Kip, a death I, I wanna... or a capital gains tax that they're going to put on farmers as they, if, if for example, the, the, hold, the holder is deceased, then the family then have to pay a death duty based on the value of that farm. Is that what you're talking about? Yes. Or is it? Yes. It's called yeah. an inheritance tax here, Andrew. Yeah. Well, the inheritance tax here, I, I fear the same thing is about to happen here. Um, and, um, and I, I don't know what you think it, but I do think that we're, we're, we're slow walking into some form of um, financial reset here because I, 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 I am beginning to believe they want to take our property away from us. I think that's a, that's a globalist view as well at the moment. And I think that somebody needs to stand up and stand against that too, because I think that's very obvious part of this. When I heard that your corporate tax, is, am I right in saying that your corporation tax is going to go from 21 to 28%? Is that right? That's the, the new figure. And your your new, um, we call it our chancellor. I don't know what you call that lady that's in the White House at the moment, but she's saying that... Um, uh, that you you would like us to have a, a global corporate tax. Is that right? Yes. Is that something? That's correct. Now, corporate minimum tax. Global corporate it, minimum tax. Now, I, well, no wonder you've got 100 global globalist companies all championing that. Because what they'll do, if people have, want to wake up and work this one out, they'll all leave the United States of America, find the least valuable um, currency, set up in those countries, and pay the same percentage, which will end up being a fifth or a tenth of what they would pay in the United States. Of America. Uh, by the way, Kip, you can tell me I'm stupid, but that had, has happened in the United States a long time ago. What state has so many corporate headquarters, state of Delaware, and it was widely known that corporations went to Delaware to set up their structure because it was the most tax-friendly state. Uh, I forget, Kip, who was the senator from Delaware that was in the United States? Beijing I don't Biden. think I need to answer that one. Beijing Biden, correct. Yeah. yeah. Well, but people, have, the only, so Kip, we're all singing off the same hymn sheet here. So really, I think that the answer, sadly, doesn't lie with me here in the UK because I can't see how my government can, you, you, can alter you, this. You feel powerless, don't you, Andrew? You want to move to the U US? I don't want to, but it could happen. <laughs> No, I'm being serious. No, you have to stay there and fight. You can't capitulate and come here. You have to fight. You have to get louder. And, Kip, I do want to spend the rest of the time that we have a segment in three minutes yeah. talking about the solution because Andrew's is spot on. We can do all the complaining we want about what's going on, but what is the solution, Kip? Well, you know, the solution is obviously we need to make sure we select good leaders in our country. I mean, that's what it comes down to. Leaders that understand uh, the values that instill our country to make it the great country it is today. And we need to have people step up and continue to invest in their family businesses. Uh, this is no time to walk away or run away. You know, I know a lot of people are looking at our current state of affairs and, and want to go another direction. The reality is this is where this is where we put our head down and walk into the wind, just like you have on your ranch many times. And so this is no time to do just that. The solution the solution is to continue to find the pauses that we can that we can take and, and, and amplify and make a difference on our farm and plan the best we can. Like I said, I'm, I'm really worried about the impact of death taxes 
on farms and family farms, which is a core. Small businesses are what runs our country, not big businesses. Small business can treat, creates the most economic contribution to our economy. And yeah. we need to make sure that our family farms remain strong and remain intact, even during this situation we're going through on what's going on with taxes. That, then we get into some of the other issues that we talked about, the 30 by 30. We talk about the Green Deal, our Green Deal. Uh, we have to have a voice in it. It's time farmers stop sitting on their farms, thinking the only value they create is sitting on their farms, running their tractors, you know, marketing their crops, running their businesses. They need to get involved in the public space. They need to get their voice out there. Because the problem is we always count on somebody from corn growers or farm bureau or somebody else to do that. The farmer's voice counts and they need to get involved and they need to make it known in Washington, D.C. to their legislatures and their, and their state houses and the Congress of the United States. The voice of the people counts. Make it known. Kit, I, I, I totally agree with everything you say there. And can I add a bit to that as well? I because farmers work the hours that they work and put in the effort that they have to to manage and make their own farms more efficient across across UK and across the USA. Uh, somebody pointed out something to me the other day, which I thought oh, I need to think very hard about this. That um, we we have two owners of a farm normally, and that is the farmer and his wife. And we underestimate the ability of the farmer's wife to put across the point, perhaps in a better way than, than the farmer does. And I, I'm saying that in a, in a, I'm trying not to, that's not to try and be sexist or anything like that. But I think when they explain um, the conditions and what's happening in the industry in a way that the general public perhaps can understand better than the average farm, farm male farmer can put across, there's more empathy, more understanding. And also when a farmer's wife starts to talk about her farm and her family and her animals, then straight away they realise that the, the agenda is about caring for everything throughout the farm. And I, I think that's, I'm trying to say that any, any, I know that we've got some great listeners here that on a daily basis are so interested in the politics of farmers. And what I'm going to try and do in this country is try to get the, the, um, the fairer sex more involved in the politics of farming. I think that is one of the solutions that could be extremely mm -hmm. positive for our industry. That has been the movement here for quite some time, Andrew. If you go to any place Good. and you see somebody advocating for agriculture, it's usually a female. And, Kip, I, I've seen this for 20 years. Ruth Merrick from Minnesota can verify that I said this publicly. You give me a city girl that marries a farmer and there's a new awakening and they become the absolute best advocate you could ask for for farming. We will take a break. We'll be back. The Dog Lover was just one example of the Forest Film movies. Don't forget to watch The Stand at Paxton County on Netflix. Last segment of Roll Route with more solutions after this. Welcome back. Roll Route, Trent Luce alongside Andrew Henderson. Uh, I've just been at it longer than you, Andrew. That's just that's that simple, <laughs> Kip Tom. Uh, at it in terms of trying to be an educator. I do want to tell you something and, and just everybody's asking for the solution. I have now lost track of the number of counties. I, I will go find it, but they're changing by the minute in the state of Nebraska and Kansas who have developed resolutions and forwarded them to me. I, I would suggest you go to americanstewards.us. The counties that are adopting resolutions to fight what Kip brought up earlier, 3030, to fight the, the national heritage area designation. 
Stacey Bowman from Illinois brought up the school boards. All of these issues that we talk about on a daily basis happen and can be controlled at your county courthouse, folks. And that's the place to go have have us. We have 31, last I knew, 31 counties in the state of Nebraska that designated themselves as Amendment 2 sanctuary counties. Sending, sending a statement that we are going to stand by the U.S. Constitution, and it all starts at the county level. Don't get convoluted in thinking that D.C. controls your life. Take back control of the lines and drive the horses. Well, I think that from the outside looking in, I've got to give you all credit where credit's due, and I'm glad you said that because I think there is a stand that we're now seeing. There's mm-hmm. a stand happening in America that's, uh, that is going to be so powerful because it does seem that there is a great difference between your federal government and your 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 uh, your your state governments. There's a huge divide appearing very very quickly. And um, you know, on the one hand, you've got senates in in states voting 24 nil, 34 nil to have audits of of the 2020 voting result, and yet the uh, the federal government is trying to stop those counts actually happening. It really, from the outside looking in, even though your media tried to hide all this, it is out there. And I think that your people are making a stand. And that's why I'm smiling. I think that you're making a very positive stand for all of us, to be fair. Kip, in Indiana, what's happening locally? Yeah, you know, there's going to be some review. And I think you'll see some minor changes to our voter law. It's, it's pretty, it's, we're, we're in pretty good shape here in Indiana right now. Uh, but I do see that we're going to make some changes. Again, this, this all comes back. I think, uh, uh, there's about 37 state legislatures that are lying, are, are Republican. And I look for many of those to get involved in making sure that their voters' rights. Uh, and this is about all voters, uh, that there's, yeah, there's, there's surety in an election. I don't care whether you're a Democrat, Independent, or Republican. Uh, you just want to make sure it's all fair. But um, Indiana's could be making some changes. There's no doubt about that. Kip, uh, my bigger point. From a property rights erosion thirty thirty, uh, and some of the uh, designations of heritage areas and things in Indiana, is that on people's minds? Not at all. Not at all. I haven't That's heard what afraid about of. here. And this is where it's the EU Farm to Fork Initiative, or it's a Food System Summit. Uh, this is something that you know people haven't really paid much attention to, but we need to. And uh, I can assure you, we'll we'll lean into it. Make sure that the protection is there. Well, this is about taking away people's property rights. I mean, land that some of us have worked for 10, 15 generations to pay for and operate. And what you're talking about is taking that away in some manner, almost mm-hmm. like eminent domain, I presume. So um, we need to get involved in the discussion again. Well, it, can, and it's can not, they do that it, in two years? Can they do that in the next two years? Well, they can do it with one congressional stroke of the pen, Andrew. It's, it's all uh, the, the National Heritage Area is a, cong- a congressional delegate uh, designation. But I just want to be clear because I've had people contact me and say, well, well, we don't have federal land in our county, so it doesn't really matter. That's not the point. If you have a National Heritage Area, it's not even that they take your land through eminent domain. They don't buy your land. They don't put a conservation easement on their land. But you have to get approval to do anything to your land because if it is impacting their view shed, well, then you can't build it because this is not in in accordance with our heritage area designation. So there's so many ways that these land issues are coming to the forefront. And I just want to remind people because we have listeners in all of these areas, Stillwater, 
Margaret Byfield and myself will be there Thursday night this week on a land grab 3030 meeting. And Monday night, Lewistown, Jolene, I see that you're on here, Lewistown, Montana on Monday, Rapid City, South Dakota on Tuesday, and then I'll be in Bismarck, North Dakota on Wednesday. Folks are waking up, and it's just amazing. I've not had a meeting, Kip or Andrew, that's had less than 240 people in the last three weeks, up to 600. And Sterling Livestock, shout out to folks at Sterling Livestock. When Colorado stepped up and tried to do something stupid, they had 3,700 people show up in one spot and celebrate being an American. It's happening. Be a part of it locally. Can it? Are you having success in stopping it, Trent? At this moment in time, does it actually stop the thing going through? Well, the the fact that we have nearly fifty counties that I'm aware of that have developed resolutions is sending a loud message. And 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 my governor, the governor of Nebraska, Pete Ricketts, was the first governor to issue a statement saying that thirty thirty and the national heritage area is not in the best interest of our state. And then the counties caught that caught their attention. The attorney general for the state of Kansas and the state of Nebraska sent letters to the Department of Interior saying that we don't like the the process that's taking place here with this 3030 initiative, which is all part of uh, Beijing Biden's executive order signed on January the 27th for climate change mitigation. Folks, that executive order is 7,657 words long. It's 57 pages. Took me an hour and a half to read it. And it wants to end fossil fuel utilization and food production. If nothing else gets your attention, what about that? And 3030 is a part of this one executive order. So when would when would that land grab actually take? So when do you envisage the first actual land grab taking it's, place? Well, oh, so it's happening. Uh, neighbors 15 miles from my house got a letter last week that they in Custer County, Nebraska, for the first time, they've designated a flower. It's called the blowout penstilum, a flower to be an endangered species. And so dicamba cannot be sprayed in Custer County this year. That's a property right erosion. You can't use one of the crop protection programs because we might we might hurt a flower that may or may not be in Custer County, Nebraska. And it happens incrementally. It's not that they just come in and take all your property in one swoop. They take a little bit here, a little bit there, Endangered Species Act. They have conservation easements. And every step of the way, you you lose your ability to use your property as you see fit. I can so guys, show you can the I... letter that the, that the guys okay. are getting. So, guys, can I ask you a question? Because I don't know the answer to this. And it's not trying to be political. I know it's a political question. But I want to you know how oh, you've, you've made all these changes using your state legislators on, on voting ID, and you've now got these, I believe, 100 corporate companies coming out against the uh, state legislators who have changed the voting laws to make it uh, so that your vote is guaranteed to have a chain of a chain of custody from the person that voted in the actual uh, state that they voted in. And um, I need to ask you a question. This other thing that's going through Congress at the moment, which seeks to basically take away your rights to make these laws... Which one has jurisdiction in, in your eyes, guys? Which one will which will prevail? If they pass that through Congress, get rid of the filibuster, pass that through Congress, who wins? The people that have legislated in the state or the, the federal government? Who wins? Anybody know? Kip. You know, I can't. I don't think I can answer that. I think it probably comes down to each state's own uh, laws and a way to writ and control those resources. 
But what I want to point out, isn't it interesting how they come out with these names that seem so uh, proper, heritage, they use the word heritage here. Why don't they just use the word land grant? That's what yeah. it is. But, you know, Trent, they come out with all these names that are that make you feel like it's, it's a good movement, right? Yeah. Yep. It sounds like you're doing something for the people of the past and the people of the future. But it's the opposite. It's taking somebody's somebody's uh, birthright away from them. It's terrible. You know? Kip, Kip, we're down to three minutes. I, I want to just let you kind of walk us through what's yeah. happening from a, a United Nations standpoint and the World Food Summit. And, and how we need to be paying attention to that, because it all feeds into everything we've talked about today. It does. This is a significant threat to U.S. agriculture, U.K. agriculture, New Zealand, Australia, Canada, Argentina, Brazil. They are wanting to reshape this. The European Union is using, as I said earlier, the Food System Summit as a Trojan horse for the EU Green Deal Farm Fork Initiative. And unfortunately, we've been caught flat-footed again, they're coming out with a very coordinated, consolidated message. It's well-funded. Even though you may you may think you're broke, or the EU may think they're broke, but the reality is they're funding this well. They're communicating well, and they're getting some signatories to it, people from nations that are saying, we want to be a part of this. And so the Food System Summit, the pre-summit takes place in Rome, Italy uh, in July during the G20, which I worry about the the effects of this going on during the G20, does it give it more legs? Does it give it more uh, publicity and people's attention to where it really does make a difference? And then, and then the, the summit actually takes place at the UN General Assembly in, I think it's early September. Um, again, we're, I think it's too late to get anything done right now. Doesn't mean we can't get engaged, shouldn't be involved. But the reality is we need to support our ag organizations to make sure that they're paying attention to this because this can affect every farmer and rancher across the United States and their ability to continue business as is to make sure we're protecting the environment, we're creating economic opportunities, and our family farms and ranches survive. That's all we're at right now. And I just want to echo something that Angel Cushing shared in this conversation here because she's been a champion for this. She's organized these meetings against the National Heritage Area designation. And what we're running up against, and and this really comes back to what we've been talking about as well, Jay Truett told us on this very program a couple of weeks ago that in that $1.9 trillion stimulus package, 75% of that money goes back into government programs the reason that some agencies, some state governments, and some farm commodity groups don't take issue against things like 3030 is it because they're getting paid to shut up. There's too much money flowing back into these organizations. Consequently, they're saying, don't say anything or you'll, you'll lose your money. That, my friends, is communism. And it's happening one step at a time. Andrew Henderson, final word today. No, uh, great to speak to you, Kit. And, uh, I hope people listen very clearly to what you're saying because we need to do something about it. We've successfully journeyed down the road connecting rural and urban America. Kip Tom, you're going to be up more. Just don't expect a subsidy for being here. <laughs> all three of us remind you that all roads yeah. do lead to a rural give you a route. If you had the measles. <laughs> Where do you come up with these things, Andrew? Before I let you go, just want to remind you that You know, I spend a lot of time talking about the future of the food system. I'm not doomsday on where we're at, but I do think we can make it better. And I think each one of us can find a way to get closer to the consumer 
And what we do in our beef supply is work with Lone Creek Cattle Company and the Piedmontese system. We send in a tissue sample of every single calf we produce to Neogen. We get the identity test to confirm that they are sired by Piedmontese bulls and that they possess the tenderness gene. That's what I'll call it. Details about your involvement at Neogen.com or LoneCreekCattleCo.com. Marlon Will has all of the answers.